Welcome to the ECT podcast series, engaging with the researchers working on the long-term field experiments in ECT's national network. A very good afternoon to you all. I'm here today at the Buxton Climate Change Impacts Laboratory here in Derbyshire, an experiment that's been running now for 30 years with Raj Whitlock from the University of Liverpool, who is one of the three lead researchers looking after the experiments here. A very good afternoon to you, Raj. Hi, Ben, and welcome to the Buxton Climate Change Impacts Lab. Thank you very much. It's an absolute pleasure to be here. Can you start by telling us a little bit more about the background and history to the Buxton experiment here? Well, the long-term experiment at the Buxton Climate Change Impacts Lab was started in the autumn 1993. The experiment was set up by Professor Philip Grime, the late Professor Philip Grime, and his team in the unit of comparative plant ecology. So that was, that's when the manipulation started. So the site comprises a set of climate manipulations applied to three by three metre grassland plots here on the west facing slope, which today is basked in sunshine, so a really lovely place to be. There are three main treatments here at Buxton. Those are a drought manipulation, where the vegetation is exposed to a summer drought lasting between July and August. So today in July, those drought shelters are alive, as we've seen, and if the rain begins to fall, then the grassland underneath will be sheltered. Those shelters will roll away again when the rain ceases. So that's the first treatment, the summer drought, and that reflects what we expect to be some of the consequences of climate change in the future here in the UK, we expect the rainfall budget of a year to be distributed more unevenly with more of that rainfall falling in the winter and often less of it falling in the summer, creating in some instances droughts locally like we've seen in 2018. So that's the drought treatment. Now we have the warming treatment which is a winter warming treatment. So here what we have is soil cables that are located in the surface of the soil they are manipulating the temperature at the soil surface by three degrees Celsius. So the way that works is we have control sensors or temperature sensors in the soil of control plots and they continuously monitor the temperature there and we have a system of small Linux computers called Raspberry Pis which interpret that signal and then generate three degrees manipulation of the soil temperature using warming cables in those warming plots. So a little bit like underfloor heating, that's popular in housing now, but sometimes we like to claim that we had it going on first here at Buxton. So that's how the warming treatment works. That's running from November through to the end of April each year. And if you like, that lengthens out the growing season. So it's providing a longer opportunity for plants to take advantage of the warmer temperatures to grow, which is something we expect to happen with climate change in the UK. The final treatment is a watering treatment. And here we're applying additional water, simulating precipitation in each year between June and September. And so 
this treatment, although we might not always expect to see that increased rainfall in the summer months, it's a useful contrast to the drought treatments and the controls, particularly in years where we have a natural drought treatment. So those are the three main treatments, drought, warming and extra precipitation. Importantly, we have a series of control plots and that's what really makes this site an experiment. So we can compare the response of the wonderful calcareous vegetation here, species-rich grassland, in those treatments that I've just described with the state of the vegetation in the control plots. And so it's only the monitoring of those control plots and their comparison that allows us to make really strong inferences that the types of effect we see here are due to the climate treatments and not due to other factors, perhaps the management of the grassland or the particular nutrient status or the microclimate that that's located in. So those control plots, the monitoring of them alongside those treatment plots is absolutely crucial. Then alongside that, as we've seen today in the tour, we have a series of combinatorial treatments. So we combine warming at the soil surface with drought, so heated and drought. We also combine the watering with warming as well. The treatment combination we don't do is drought plus watering. That treatment doesn't really make any sense in the context of the experiment we have here. That's an excellent introduction. Thanks, Raj. So it's true that this experiment is the longest running climate change experiment outdoors in the UK. That's right then. So it's the longest continuously running climate manipulation experiment here in the UK. We believe it's also the second longest running experiment of its kind globally. So it's always frustratingly one year behind a warming experiment that's been running in the Rocky Mountains. And there is some genuinely high science being done here, isn't there? Funded by bodies like the Natural Environment Research Council. Can you say something about the impacts over the 30-year time frame of this experiment so far? Yes. So, as Phil Grime would have said, the research that we have here is a rich mix. So it's a combination of research that seeks to look at the high-level impacts of the climate manipulations on the structure of the plant community. That's where we started, where Phil's research started, where Jason Fridley's research after that continued. So because of that early work, we have a really good understanding of the responses of grassland vegetation, particularly calcareous grassland vegetation, to environmental change and climate change. So that's where we started. I entered the picture in 2008. I started to do some studies of the genetics of some of the species in the plots here. And that led us to understand that actually, as well as the changes in the different plant species, they're abundant, slowly shifting through time, predictably with the impacts of the climate treatments, we have an underlying genetic change as well. So the natural selection that climate change creates is at once shaping the abundant structure of the grassland community and the constituent genotypes of the individual populations of species. So the natural selection that climate change generates is taking the incredible biological diversity we have in a site like this and shaping it and we see adaptive processes therefore operating at the species level with the success and relative failure of different species but also within the species as well. So that's where we started and from there we've continued to branch out and make even richer that mix of research. With collaborations with Emma Sayer and other ecologists we're 
looking at the responses of soil microbial communities to the climate change impacts. So there we're seeking to understand how climate change has impacted on the structure of the microbial community and what the consequences are for the interplay between the plants and the microbes. So in a system such as this we expect those two compartments of the ecosystem, the, the soil below ground and its microbes and the plants above ground, to be extremely tightly tethered. And so the research is focused around quantifying the impact of change on those microbial communities, understanding how that might shape the functioning, the, the ecosystem processes occurring within the ecosystem, but importantly also understanding the interplay and feedbacks between the processes, uh, responses above ground and those below ground. And there are clear policy implications for organisations like, for example, Natural England, who are interested in grassland conservation. Indeed, that's correct. So one of the collaborations we've recently embarked on is trying to understand how the system of common standards monitoring that an organisation like Natural England undertakes to understand the state and condition of its grasslands of conservation of concern, how are those measures impacted and modified by the impacts of climate change? And it, it's really only through a long-term experiment such as this one that we can begin to get an insight into this important question. So we've had colleagues from Natural England visit the site and we've been applying versions of common standards monitoring to the different climate treatments we have here at Buxton. And that's allowing us to address this question rather directly of whether or how climate change shows up in the methods that Natural England are actually using to monitor real grasslands, or well, this is a real grassland, but other similar grasslands out there in the Peak District and beyond. Well said. Can you say something, Raj, about how open to wider collaboration you are, particularly with soil scientists in mind, because there's some really important below ground stuff going on here, isn't there? We're extremely welcome to collaboration with others outside of the core steering group of this experiment. I think it's not an understatement to say that there are more questions still to be addressed here <laughs> yes. than just a small group of researchers could possibly achieve. And so we're extremely keen to be in contact with you if you want to come here and collaborate with us. There's a limit to the kinds of things we can do to the experiment. The steering committee for the site have to take into account the impact of sampling on the site. And some of these questions are ongoing lines of research, but it's extremely probable that we'll be able to find some way of fitting in and making sure that you can address your question here and expand the smorgasbord of research that we have here. That's great. And listeners, as well as other research collaborators, can read more about the Buxton Experiment on ECT's dedicated webpage. And so finally, Raj, the last question from me today, can you give me your take on the real value of long-term field experiments in ecology more generally, not just Buxton and, and climate change experiments, but more broadly? Well, these LTEs are extremely important, and they're extremely important for two main reasons that interact with each other. And the first reason is that they're experiments. So as I was saying, in comparison between the treatments and the control plots, it's only in a real experiment that we can understand that the impacts on the vegetation that we're observing are specifically attributable to climate change. So that's one key aspect of their value is that they're real experiments, experimental treatments applied 
to intact ecosystems with all of the complexity that we've just talked about. So the second really important spoke of an LTE is the longevity of the treatments. And so again, we can refer back to the kinds of science we've been able to do through time. Perhaps it's no surprise that the first research that was done here revolved around impacts on the plant community and biomass production of the ecosystem. And it's only later that we've come to understand the impact of evolution and genetic change on populations, the community and the ecosystem as well. We're seeking to integrate those things now to get an overall understanding. But the basic point there is that these different ecological processes can kick in and take place on different timescales and they can interact with each other as well. So it's only through using a long-term ecological experiment out here in the field that we can first diagnose which processes are important in the responses to climate change and then begin to understand how they're integrated with each other and how they affect the overall behaviour of the system and the functioning of the system. And that, I believe, is something that can only be done using an LTE. So I have a point to expand on here as well. I think that although LTEs are crucially important and they're our window on understanding this and correctly attributing, I think we also now need to move into a phase where the research happening in LTEs is integrated into a wider system of monitoring. Let's take Buxton as an example, the site we are now. It's about a tenth of a hectare on a west-facing slope aspect. So as important as the fundamental understanding of ecology we can derive here, it's still challenging to generalise to the wider landscape. For instance, a member of staff from Natural England could say perhaps those impacts don't apply on my grassland, which is at a different altitude, has a different slope aspect, different management, perhaps different level of shrubbiness. And so in order to make the best use of the findings that we gain from these important LTEs, we need to integrate them with parallel investigation locally and at wider scales of impacts in the wider landscapes. And so I think this is one of the next exciting ways that these LTEs can really be used embedded within wider networks of monitoring sites. That's a brilliant vision to finish on, Raj. Thank you very much. And thank you again for hosting ECT here at Buxton today. Thanks, Ben. It's wonderful to have you here.